Fusion. Good evening. It is good to see you guys. It's good to be in the house. How are you guys feeling? Good. Okay. Okay. Excited? Good. That's how you should be feeling. I know I'm excited for what God is doing, for what God is, has been doing, and for what God is about to do. Speaking of what God has been doing, I've just been doing some meditating on all that's been taking place this year. Have you guys realized that kind of a lot has taken place this year? A lot, right? Even right here in our ministry, a lot has taken place this year. Have you guys noticed that? God has been doing a lot of work in our lives, in this ministry, and I just felt it would be good for us to revisit some of the things that God has been doing because sometimes we could just be going and not reflecting. And when you're going and you're not reflecting, that means you're missing things that God wants you to see. God wants us to be able to move forward, but at his pace where we're actually able to absorb the things that we're walking through, the things that are taking place around us, and the journey that he's taking us on. Sometimes we can be so focused on the destination that we miss the beauty of the journey. But God is a God of the journey. He's not just a God of the destination. You can look at the Bible and see that. We are in the middle of a journey that God started thousands of years ago. He created the heavens and the earth. He created humanity. Uh, and then we got ourselves into a difficult predicament in our relationship with him. And could he have solved it immediately? Probably. He's wise enough to accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. But instead of solving our predicament immediately, he began a journey, thousands of years of a journey to usher in the manifestation of himself in human flesh, making a sacrifice for human sin, dying, resurrecting, and then we are 2,000 years past that point. So the journey continues. God is a God of process. He's a God of journey. And if you are going to walk with God, you have to understand that, that he's not just a God of the destination. He is the God of the journey, a God of process. He, it, it gives him pleasure to see things start small and grow. He says to one of the prophets, do not despise the day of small beginnings, but that the Lord rejoices to see the beginning happen. And he was talking about the rebuilding of the temple when he said that, that just the, the first step at the rebuilding process makes God rejoice because he's a God of process and he's not in a rush. Have you found that in your life? Things take a little bit longer than maybe what you would have expected. And something about us wants to rush through everything. And we want to get to the destination instead of absorbing what's taking place around us and taking in everything that God wants to teach us. Because when you get to the next destination, the plan of God was for you to absorb what he was showing you on the way there. The journey that you're taking right now, God is showing you things that he wants you to pay attention to for where he's taking you. Our challenge is we get so distracted with wanting to get there that we will devalue 
our journey there, and then we get to destinations with less equipment than we could have if we picked up what he was wanting to hand us on the way. And so God has been doing a lot in our lives. He's been doing a lot in this ministry. And I really felt like tonight was a night of realignment. Let's get back in line. Let's get our perspectives uh, corrected a little bit. Let's, let's remind ourselves and be reminded of what God is doing, what he's wanting, where he's taking us. Because we can, we can get lost out here. And so we started off this year with a word from God. God gave us a, a word for this house a few months before this year began about what he wanted to do in this church. And he talked about filling this house. And it, it was, we started off with a series called Full House because that's what God was speaking. And we, we, we talked about Luke 5 where he recruits Peter and James and John and Peter's brother Andrew and, and, he, and he shows them how to fish for men. And we talked about the fact that Peter allowed Jesus to get in his boat to teach people and then Jesus invited Peter to follow him. And we talked about how Jesus wants to get in your personal life, your personal space. Can Jesus use what you have? Can Jesus use your resources to speak to people? Because that is the means by which he wants to accomplish the vision. Because in order to have a full house here, God has made it very clear that it is going to come by way of us having full houses. And so here, here's, here's what that means. It means uh, it's not going to be a house full of people who just came to hear good preaching. It's not going to be a house full of people who are fans of the worship songs. It's going to be a house full of people who you are leading to Christ. That means the responsibility that God has put on this house is in your hands as much as it is in mine. God has put responsibility in your hands. God has put accountability in your hands. God has given you a mission to minister. Not just me, but you. God wants to use you to reach your people. Because I don't know your family. I don't know your friends. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know the people that you come across on a day-to-day -day basis. You and I may be coming across different people on a day-to-day -day basis. And he wants to use me to reach some people, but he wants you to reach other people. He wants you to reach your neighbors, not me. And then we gather here to get equipped to go out. We gather here to grow in our knowledge of God, to have encounters with him, experiences with him, and to be equipped to go. Because the world needs to hear the good news. And they don't just need to hear it from my sermon. They need to hear it through your life. God wants to use your life to preach in a way that I never could. That's his desire for you. That's why he created you and has you sitting in that seat right now, watching online right now, because he has a mission for you that he wants to remind you of tonight. 
And God is a God of journey. He's a God of process. So he doesn't just give you a commission and it happens the next day. He gives you a commission and it begins a lifelong journey. Your journey with God is a lifelong journey. Your mission from God is a lifelong mission. You have a lifelong ministry. You do. You're just getting started. It's just the beginning. And what the enemy knows is if he cannot steal the word of the mission from you, if he can't get you to decline the mission, then he'll just try to get you off course. And I believe that that is the attack that's coming against many of us is we're being inundated by circumstances, by pressures, by stresses, by all types of things happening in life. And the goal is there, there are two potential outcomes. One is you grow. The other is you go off course. So there's always two ways to respond to the situations that are coming at you. And one is you grow. That's what God wants. The other is you say no. You step off course. You leave. You abandon the mission. You go AWOL. That's what the enemy wants. But God wants us to stay on course. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're talking about staying the course. Because one of the things that I've seen when it comes to especially people our age is long-term thinking is sometimes hard to find in young adults. Many of us are short-term thinkers. And it's not because we want to be. It comes natural to us because we've only experienced a short period of life. So then we think a little shorter term. But we serve a long-term God. And your calling is a long-term calling. The vision for your life is a long-term vision. So we have to get in alignment with his way of thinking. He is not going to box himself into ours. But that's what we're asking him when we ask God to hurry up. When we get frustrated with how he's choosing to do things and we get upset with God. You know how often I hear that we're upset with God? He's just frustrated with God. It's normal talk, but it's, it's not really a normal thing. It shouldn't be a normal thing for us in our finite way of thinking, our very limited perspective, our complete dependence on him for life and everything that we have and need, it's a little out of order for us to get frustrated with his way of doing things when he spoke everything that we know into existence. I think he has a better idea of how it works than we do. And I think he has a better plan. I know he has a better plan than you and I do. But we get frustrated with him and 
uh, aside from getting frustrated with him, we also are often tempted to take over the steering wheel. And this gets really dangerous because many times we get in the driver's seat and don't even realize it. This is another way we get off course is we have found ourselves in the driver's seat and don't even realize we started driving. We asked God to step out 20 miles ago, got in the driver's seat, started driving, and are still saying that it's God directing us. And so I I believe that God wants to give us the wisdom to stay on course and to not get distracted, to not get deceived. But I see that that's what's coming against us. I hear it in all the conversations. I see it in my own life. The temptation to go off course, to focus on something else is, is nonstop. But I know that when God says he wants to do something, he means it no matter what it starts looking like. So if God said that he wanted to accomplish something, no matter what it looks like right now, when he said it, he meant it. And he still means it no matter how things look to you. We can see this all throughout scripture. Where God says something is going to happen and then the circumstances start looking a little different than what he said. And this is where we see people commended for their faith. That in spite of the way things looked, God commends people throughout human history who believed what he said in spite of what they saw. And he's still calling us to do the same thing. And I believe that God does have a vision for this house. I believe he has a vision for your house. I believe if you are here, I believe God wants you here. But will you stay on course? Will you stay the course? Will you see it through to completion? Will you see it through till the end? Because sometimes we can look at a church ministry uh, as an object that doesn't require us. And so, for instance, you can look at what God wants to do in fusion instead of what God wants to do in fusion. You're the church. The church is not something you attend. The church is not something you pull up to. The church is something you are. The church is is a living organism that consists of every believer in Christ. And the church is the only institution on earth that Jesus has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There is no other organization on the planet with that promise. There is no individual with that promise. Reshaping thinking, realigning, because sometimes we feel like God is calling us to go out on our own. And I just don't see that in scripture. 
I'm not telling you God isn't calling you to a different body, but he's not calling you to just you. But we can start hearing God say some things that he doesn't say in his word and get this rogue mission to go out here and be an independent superhero for Jesus. And that's, that's never how he said his plan operates. He said he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And the New Testament documents the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the establishment of his church. And everything else is about his church. Letter of Revelation, Jesus is talking to his church. Not just individuals, he's talking to his church. So I want us to look at how the church began in Acts, because this is actually a foundational scripture for our ministry. This is the heart, this is the vision that we go to when it comes to making decisions about this ministry. The infrastructure of our ministry is built around this passage of scripture. It's Acts 2. Verses 42 through 47. On the day of Pentecost, immediately after Peter preaches, uh, the Holy Spirit falls, Peter preaches, people say, what must we do to be saved? He says, repent and be baptized. 3,000 people are baptized. This is how the church of Jesus Christ first begins. And in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Did you catch that? They devoted themselves, not to one of these things, but to all of these things. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that's a healthy church. This is a community of believers who actually like each other so much that they get together every day. They go to church every day and go meet in their homes, breaking bread. Uh, they have such affection for one another that they're willing to sell what they have and bring the money to the church to distribute to those people who have need with no command to do so. This was just what, how their hearts were overflowing with love and affection for one another. And the scripture gives a few things that were taking place right at the beginning Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. We try to incorporate every single one of these aspects into what we do. Uh, This is why we gather together and dig into God's word, because we devote ourselves to his teaching and to fellowship. This is why we try to incorporate community into everything that we do. This is why we try to gather beforehand, why we try to gather afterward, why we, and then why we gather in 
homes. This is why we do small group. This is why we do community events. Uh, And then obviously, well, the breaking of bread is a part of that with small groups, with events, and then obviously prayer. And this is the backbone of the church. This is ultimately what we are called to do. This is the type of interaction we should find ourselves engaged in. And yet everything around us is trying to pull us away from this, pull us away from this, trying to pull us away from this. And I have found that where we find the most life is in this. Like when church is good, that's life-giving. Would you agree? Many of you are here because of that. Many of you guys are here because of the way God has moved in your life through the church. But something happens. I see a common trend that many of us, we will come to church, be on fire for God, love church for a good year. And something happens at that point for so many people that life circumstances, being disgruntled with something, whatever it is, there's this tug that tries to pull us away. And what's worse is many of us get enticed into thinking that this is really secondary. Like, I got to prioritize what I have going on in life. I got to prioritize my career, school. I got stuff going on right now that I need to take care of. And yet, like what Jesus, what God put on flesh, lived 33 years, died resurrected, sent the Holy Spirit to establish, somehow is knocked down to the bottom of our priority list. And worse, many of us feel like God is telling us to knock it down to the bottom of our priority list to take care of everything else that's temporary in our lives. And I'm saying this Because it happens to us all. You guys don't think I get tempted to not be here? (laughs) There are more glamorous things to do with my life than have talks like this. Be real. I got a lot going on. There are more lucrative things I could be doing. There are more fun things I could be doing. But I don't think that there's anything more important that I could be doing. And that's what keeps me showing up. Just showing up. Not perfect. Not because the day went exactly how I wanted it to go. Not because everything is always great, but because... This is what I'm called to. And I believe that many of us 
will be much better off in our relationship with God, in our relationships with other people, and we will be, we will be of greater value to the world that we live in when we can stay the course of our calling and think long term. But sometimes we are allowing short-term minor inconveniences to cause us to deviate from our long-term calling. And when we look at it in the grand scheme of things, man, if, if you're struggling for 30 days, is it worth the impact that God really wanted you to have for three years? But sometimes we could get so immersed in just circumstances that we lose sight of calling. And this is why I think we need nights like tonight. This is why we need reminders like tonight. Uh, and I actually want to dive into a particular passage of scripture tonight the, to talk about staying the course and the difference uh, between staying the course and not staying the course. And so I want to pray real quick before we dive in. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for each and every individual here, God, that you have called for this time. Lord, each and every person listening has a unique, particular, and powerful calling that you have called them to, that you have called them to. I didn't call them to it. Victory Church has not called them to it. You have called them. You have called us. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to us tonight in the way that we need. I pray that you would encourage us in the ways that we need to be encouraged. I pray that you would correct us in the ways that we need to be corrected. All for your glory. We invite you to speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in John chapter 6. We're going to read a little chunk of this, verses 60 through 71. Uh, there's something really, really interesting happening in this passage of Scripture. Prior to this, let me set this up real quick. Prior to this, we see Jesus feed the 5,000. Anybody heard that story? There are thousands of people it says 5,000 men, which means there were also women and children there. could be between 15,000 and 20,000 people easily um, that were listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus turns to his, his close disciples and he says, man, where are we going to find food for these people? Long story short, there's a, there's a young boy there with some fish and some loaves of bread for lunch. And Jesus takes that meal, offers thanks to God breaks the bread, and has his disciples distribute two fish and five loaves to thousands of people to the point that they all ate their fill, and then there were baskets full of leftovers. Crazy miracle. Uh, Jesus' disciples then go across the sea. He says, hey, uh, I feel like these people are about to try to make me king after I did that miracle. I need to go over on the mountainside to pray. You guys go across the sea. I'll catch up with you. Uh, this is where we see Jesus walk on water because he prioritized going and spending time with his father 
so much that he wasn't worried about the inconvenience of the boat being on the other side of the lake and just walked on water to get over to the boat to catch back up to his disciples because he knew he needed to go spend time with his father. That's a message in there for itself. And then when they get to the other side, uh, the people come looking for Jesus the next day and they don't find him. And so they go across the lake, they go to find him and they have this whole discussion uh, where they are, they're really looking for another miracle because they liked what Jesus did for them. And so they hunted him down trying to get him to do more stuff for them. And Jesus changes the conversation to say, you know, I'm actually the bread you're looking for. Like, I, I know you just got bread, uh, and I know that you're familiar with even when, when, when God fed your ancestors with manna in the wilderness, bread from heaven. Well, I am the bread of heaven that has come down to give life to the world. And they didn't like that. They liked the miracles. They liked the physical bread. They liked the physical blessing. They liked following Jesus when he was giving them everything that they wanted. But when it came time to actually want him, this is where we find ourselves in the story. It says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because he, he goes on to say, you actually have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want true life. And they didn't know what that meant. And it's understandable that they didn't know what that meant. They are thinking like this guy actually wants us to like eat him. This is very weird. So on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. This is an interesting passage of scripture, and there is a lot here. Uh, I want us to notice the tension in this conversation. Because I read this maybe sometime last year uh, for the first time with new eyes. I was like, this was a difficult situation to be in, especially as a leader. Because you got all these people following you, and then it, it didn't say that the crowd turned their back on him. It said many of his disciples 
turn their back on him. Like there was a point that these people who had been following him, there was a point that they got to like, all right, it's enough for me. You're doing too much. And, and you can see the tension here in Jesus' discussion uh, in, in a couple of his comments. The, the first one is he asks, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Like me giving this teaching about me being bread and you actually having to consume my body and my blood, like... Does that offend you? Well, what if you saw me ascend to where I came from before? Like, what would you do with that? Like, this is a teaching, and does this offend you? Who do you believe that I am? Like, what do you... This is, this is just a sermon. What are you going to do with the rest of the plan? Like, you're getting hung up on the sermon. We haven't even got to the cross yet. I don't know what you're going to do with that. Death, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of God. You're still at the beginning. And that word offend is this word, this Greek word, skandalizo. It means to shock through word or action, to give offense to, uh, or to anger. And he's like, I mean, I can just imagine how frustrating this is for him. Like, first of all, he's God. Second, he's right. Like, everything he's saying is true. And he's clearly, he just fed all these people. He just did a whole miracle. And they're getting hung up on this sermon. And I wonder how easily we can find ourselves there. Like yesterday, God did a whole miracle in their lives. Now today, he's saying something they don't like. So I can imagine the frustration on his end where he's like, really? I just did all that. I wasn't hungry. Y'all were hungry. I could have just split the meal with the young boy. We would have been good. I didn't have to multiply anything. Did that for you guys. And yet you refuse to actually submit to me. And then he turns the attention to the 12 and asks them, so what about you guys? And, and this is the question that it makes me ask is that they got to a tipping point. What is your tipping point? Is there a tipping point where this is not going to work for you anymore? Like, does Jesus really have your life or does he have your attention for the moment? (laughs) One more time. Does Jesus have your life Or does he have your attention for the moment? Because those are two different things. And he doesn't need attention. He's God. He wants your life. 
And for these disciples, many of them, he had their attention for the moment, but he didn't have their lives. Because if he had their lives, then the response would have been, I don't get it, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stick around long enough to figure this out. Not, all right, it's too much. Where did they go? This is the contrast between what we see them do and what Peter says. Peter's like, where are we going to go? We're walking around with you. You are clearly the son of God. You raised the dead. You healed the sick. You just multiplied all this food like you're doing miracles all the time. You've changed our lives. Where are we going to go? Even if we don't like this, where are we going to go? And I wonder where these people went. And how they would feel having the, having the privilege to look back on their story like we are, knowing the whole story. Like, you were, you're in John 6. You're not even done with the book of John. There's 21 chapters in John, and that's just the last gospel. Then we got Acts, we got all the epistles, we go all the way to Revelation, and you dropped out here because you didn't like what he said? And I wonder how many of us are tempted to do the same because things are getting inconvenient, because money's getting tight. Because maybe people don't like me as much as I want them to. Maybe I'm having some weird interactions. Like, what's your tipping point? At what point are you like, all right, God, I'm not going to go any further with your plan. I'm going to go ahead and take the wheel. Because if you have a tipping point, you're going to get taken there. If you have a tipping point, you're going to get taken there. Just giving you a heads up. Either God or the devil. One of them is going to get you there. You're going to get taken to your tipping point. Jesus had a tipping point. Opportunity. We see it in a garden called Gethsemane, where he is so stressed out about what God the Father is calling him to do that he is sweating blood. And we like, we hear that, we know, but no, have you, can you imagine sweating blood? I don't know how that happens. I hear that it's scientifically possible, but like, have you ever heard of somebody sweating blood? I haven't. I don't know anybody who's been that stressed. <laughs> I don't. And I know people who've been through a lot of difficult situations. I find myself in a lot of tense situations and there's no blood comes out. Jesus was put under pressure 
to the point that he sweat blood. If there was an opportunity to say, you know, this is too much, not going to go through with it, that was the opportunity. Like, that was the final thing to push through. Where he finally said, you know what? Father, if there is any other way, let me take that way. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's who you claim to follow. And so when life gets difficult and when things get challenging, that's who you are imitating. It is the one, the person who was sweating blood and his friends are supposed to, he just asked them to pray with him. They don't have to go to the cross. Pray with me. They're sleeping. You think you feel lonely? You think you need better friends? Welcome to life. Even the son of God couldn't get his friends to stay awake with him in the most important decision of his life. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I believe that God wants to remind us tonight that that's what we're getting invited into. Now, the Bible does tell us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. But he couldn't skip the cross and just go to the joy. He endured the cross to get to the joy that was set before him. Do you know the joy that was set before him? You. Without the cross, he could not have you. He didn't sin. It was not his problem. It was your problem, but there was no other way to reconcile God and humanity except for this moment. And he makes the most selfless decision that anybody has ever made to lay down his life in the most painful way humanly possible. In case you're not familiar with crucifixion, it is the most painful way ever created to die. It is where the word excruciating comes from, crucifixion. So it was a scientifically designed means of torture, the most painful way to die because it took a long time and was extremely painful. And Jesus was crucified after he was flogged. Flogged meaning he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. In case you don't know what that is, it is a contraption with leather straps that come off of it with pieces of metal and bone sharp pieces that they whip into the person and rip out and it comes out with skin and bone and flesh. And so his, his back was hanging off of his back on the way to the cross he was whipped 
so much that he actually should have died before the cross. But my God is not an easy God to take down. And your sin was not a light load to carry. And so it took that and then the cross. And he carried his own cross. While he carried your sin. And he stayed the course. And this is what he's calling you and I to do. To not quit because we don't like it anymore. (laughs) These people bother me. They're annoying. This is a lot. (laughs) This is the God that we serve. For me, life's not getting easier. You can see that, you can sense that from my tone. <laughs> life's not getting easier. Sorry, I'm give you a heads up. It's not getting easier. It's getting more fruitful. It's not getting easier. But what's your tipping point? Do you have one? Can you be honest about it? And if you feel like you have one, I want you to take a second and actually write it down. As a matter of fact, y'all all have one that you're tempted. So not saying you're going to give up at this point, but this is the point at which you're tempted to give up. You might be at it right now. Write it down. Because this is something that you need to be able to put your eyes on and be like, you know what? This is not... This is not crucifixion. This is not flogging. This is gas money. (laughs) Suddenly pales in comparison to my savior. Maybe I'll take another step and move forward. But really though, what is it? Because we're all facing difficult things right now. We're all facing challenges right now. Many of us are feeling the pressure of life weighing in on us. And either, what's gonna come out? Something's gonna come out. Either our desire to quit is gonna come out or our desire to persevere is gonna come out. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if I'm not mistaken, trials of many kinds, difficult circumstances, Test your faith. And when your faith is tested, it produces perseverance. And perseverance does a work in your life that makes you mature and complete, not lacking anything. Which means that if you don't get trials, you won't mature. If you don't get tested, you cannot persevere. 
If you don't go through anything, you don't endure anything. And there's no way we're following a Jesus who didn't have to endure anything. That's what we're tempted to believe, that Jesus just wants my life to be amazing. He does, but what's his definition of amazing? I would say Jesus had an amazing life. I mean, the most impactful person to ever walk the planet. Oh, but Jesus had to endure day in and day out rejection, mischaracterization, insults, mocking, beating, and death. Jesus still has to endure. You're complaining. (laughs) Daily. And yet he loves you so much that he endures it because of where he's taking you. He's working on you. He's developing you. He's maturing you. You still lack something, so he's allowing you to go through something to give you what you lack. Sometimes we feel like we're lacking something in life and God is mistreating us. When in fact, if you don't lack anything in life, then you're going to lack something in the spirit. You got to hear me. If you don't go through any times where you need something, you're going to be immature. This is the challenge that we all face when it comes to children. The desire is, I want to give Noah the easiest life, but I don't. Because if he never gets a no, if he never has to work through anything, he's going to be the worst. (laughs) It's just true. You don't want to deal with that person who's never been through anything, who can't empathize with any challenges, who has never had to persevere anything, who feels entitled to everything in life. And this is why a loving parent will allow you to struggle through some things. So God wants the best for you, and because he wants the best for you, he is going to allow you to struggle through some circumstances. Because you cannot get stronger if you don't. You got to walk through some stuff. You got to experience some stuff. You got to hear no sometimes. You got to know what it feels like to fall down and get back up. You got to know what it feels like to endure. And that makes you more like God and more mature. But this is not done all in your own strength. And so I want to tell you that relationship with God is initiated by and sustained by the Holy Spirit. So you don't do this in your own flesh. You don't persevere in your own flesh. You don't persevere in your own strength. You don't just will your way there. It starts with the Holy Spirit. It is sustained by the Holy Spirit. You come to Christ as a result of the Holy Spirit, and you stay with Christ as a result of the Holy Spirit. This is why he says in verse 63, the Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. 
The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. He says, Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe who would betray him. And then he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled them. We need the enablement of God to do what he's called us to do. You need the Holy Spirit to endure your calling. And so if you're in a situation that you cannot figure yourself out of, you cannot figure your way out of on your own, you don't know how it's going to work out, welcome. Welcome. What else would you need the Holy Spirit for? A cute conversation? Seriously. Like, what do you think Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit for? To do all the stuff you can't do. So you got to run into some stuff you can't handle without him or else why is he there? Jesus could have just ascended into heaven and been like, all right, y'all got it. Y'all are strong enough, smart enough. No, he said, don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because you're not going to be able to do what I've called you to do without the Holy Spirit. This church will never be what God's called it to be without the Holy Spirit. You will never be able to minister to the people that God wants you to minister to without the Holy Spirit. But you got to be submitted to him. Submitted to him. Not just following your own thoughts and your own inclinations and your own desires and calling it the Holy Spirit. Submitted to the Holy Spirit. Because many of us will say that God is telling us to do stuff. And then we do it and it's all jacked up. Like, did he tell you how to do it? God told me to talk to you about this. Did he tell you how to have the conversation? You know how many times I experienced that one? You need a little more time in that convo with the Holy Spirit. Because last I checked, the fruit of the Spirit is not stubbornness, unwillingness to submit, rebellion, and isolation, and pride, and judgment, and criticism. Those are not the fruit of the Spirit. But I hear so often, God is telling me this about the church, about this. God is giving you all the judgment, all the criticism, huh? And what does he want you to do? Leave. Oh, okay. All right. Because when I look at the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is, is, is correcting his church and keeping them together. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is stuff like love, joy, peace, patience. Come on, list it off. It, it, it's all stuff that we won't do naturally in our interactions. And so if, if everything God is calling you to do is stuff that you want to do anyway, that you do naturally, 
I would challenge whether that's God talking to you or not. Because the stuff God tells me to do is not what I would do naturally. It's like be super humble to the point that it's uncomfortable. That's the kind of stuff that God tells you to do. Then you know, oh, it's God. Humble yourself. Yet, yeah, no, even more. Even more. You know, like, like the God who humbled himself to the point that he would let people who created him kill him? Are you kidding me? They ripped out his beard, spit on his face, smacked him. Like the one who said, I could call 10,000 angels right now. Right now. <laughs> Not I could call 10,000 friends. I could call legions of angels. But had the humility to not exercise his full power and not worry about how he was perceived because he was focused on his purpose. And that's the kind of mindset we have to have if we're going to stay the course. And it's sustained by the Holy Spirit. And so here's, 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 here's some checkpoints. Is it in the Bible? Is what God told you to do in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? Where? Can you share it with other believers and they affirm it and agree with you? Or will everybody disagree and so you just go into rebellion mode and say nobody hears from God except for you? <laughs> or could it be it might not be God or maybe you have, you have become God in this moment? But seriously, God speaks to us in our thoughts 100%. You got to know how to filter and steward and discern the voice of God. Because you speak to you in your thoughts too. Mm -hmm. The enemy speaks to you in your thoughts too. And they can sound really similar. But you know how, how I start filtering to know whether it's God? Because God has a language and the enemy has a language and I have a language. I'll start with the enemy's language. The enemy's language is accusation. God's not accusing everybody to you and you're calling it discernment. And it's all accusation. God will give you insight and wisdom, but not accusation, assumption of people's motives, and assassination of their character. That's the enemy. Those are the types of things that get us to break away from each other in church, leave church, leave small group, quit. And it's the enemy. It's not God. You are typically telling yourself, 
whatever would make you more comfortable in that moment. You know what? Maybe I'd need to hit snooze. Maybe I, maybe I just need to stop serving because I'm telling you, it is quite inconvenient. And I know that, well, I know that what, what God has for me in this season <laughs> is just going to require more time with just me and him. And you start wooing yourself into comfort. And it sounds like God. And it's you. Because, because Jesus, if we're following his model, we got to follow his model. And so we, Jesus is going to, the voice of God is going to point us to be like Jesus. The voice of God is going to point you to be like Jesus. So if you want to know whether you are hearing the prophetic voice of God in your mind, guiding your actions, is he guiding you to be like Jesus, like Jesus, not like what you think you should be like, like Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is his aim. That is his goal, to be, to make you like Jesus. This is why Jesus put on human flesh, to give you a perfect example of a human life that imitates God. So the Holy Spirit is pointing you to be like Jesus. And you want to know how you're going to know whether he's calling you to be like Jesus and pointing you to be like Jesus? When you're reading the scriptures and you actually know what Jesus's lifestyle is like and you know what his words are and you know what his actions are and you know his way of thinking that happens as you spend regular time in the word of God. And if you, want to know the, if you want to know where to start, just start reading about Jesus. If, that's where, if you're like, man, where do I start with the scriptures? Start reading about Jesus. You can't miss any of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, live there for a little while. Because that is who you're seeking to imitate. Amen? And the last piece is your, your long-term journey is defined by a daily decision to follow Jesus. Your long-term journey is defined by a daily decision to follow Jesus, not a five-year-old decision to follow Jesus, and now you took the wheel. A daily decision to follow Jesus. This is why Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, we're not going anywhere. You alone have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so we're not going anywhere. And that's what I've found I have to resolve to in my life is I'm just not going anywhere. Like, I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know. Things get more confusing by the day. More factors are added in to this ingredient soup called my life. And I feel like God is just teaching me faith. How else is he going to teach you faith? If you can see how everything's going to work out, how do you have faith? Think about that. 
Could it be that maybe he's just growing your faith? If you don't know how it's all going to work out, maybe it's not time for you to jump ship or abandon what he's calling you to do. Maybe it's time for you to exercise some faith. I woke up this morning not knowing how I'd have energy to do this. Faith. Noah was up all night. I could have been like, y'all figure it out. Worship night. (laughs) I'm being real. Like, I appreciate you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. But seriously, though, like, it's not to brag. It's literally just, I'm just showing up. It's what I feel like God is calling me to do. I feel like what, it's what he's calling you to do. Some of us, we have a busy few weeks, and we feel too drained to come to church and sit and listen. If you had the last few weeks that I had, you might not want to come here. Like, you might just go find a nap. Even if it's outside, that would be more comfortable. So either God is calling me to comfort or he's calling me to his calling. And the two are not always going to go together. I think Jesus did some stuff when he was tired. I think Jesus did some stuff when he had a lot going on. I think this was a difficult situation for Jesus that we're looking at. His disciples are leaving him. People who'd been walking with him. The the 12 disciples, these are people they're surrounded by. Some of them were probably their friends. Might have been the the guy they were at Bible study with. You know what I mean? Like these are people they're living life with, saying, you know what, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm leaving But you and I have to be marked by a daily decision to say, I'm just not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to stay the course because where else am I going to go? Where else am I going to go? I'm going to come up with a, a plan for my life. I have a better outcome. There's nowhere to go. So I want to close here. We started with with Acts 2. Where, where the church begins, and we see Jesus uh, initiating the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on people and empowers them, and 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. And then the rest of the New Testament is just them trying to stay the course, figuring it out. And then we see in Revelation uh, the, the disciple John, who, who wrote this gospel that we were just reading from, documenting these experiences that he had with Jesus, he was there. Like when all these people left, John was there and wrote it down. Like, yeah, there was this one time where Jesus was like, y'all going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were like, this is too much and we got to leave. And a lot of his disciples left that day. And then Jesus turned to us and he was like, what about y'all? Are y'all are, like, what about y'all? Are y'all going to leave too? Are y'all going to tap out too? But, you know, we stayed the course. And, <laughs> and, and, and then at the, John is young at that time. Like John is a young disciple. He's likely even a teenager when that, when that happens. If not a teenager, maybe early 20s possibly, but a young guy when that happens. And then at the end of his life, he's in, 
he's in exile on an island called Patmos. And Jesus shows up to him. And uh, he gives him a vision. I mean, he sees the resurrected Jesus Christ. He said his eyes were like flames of fire. His hair was white like wool. He said that his feet were like burnished bronze in a fire. His voice was like the sound of roaring waters. And Jesus had a message for his church. And he goes through each city, each major city where the churches were. It was seven different cities, seven different churches, and seven represents the number of completion. And what many people believe is this is just addressing the complete state of Jesus' church throughout any generation. Throughout any generation, we can look at we can look at the letters to the churches, the seven letters, and we can find ourselves. That he's just addressing the overall states of the churches that they're going to be in. And the last one is the church of uh, Laodicea. And he ends his correction to them this way. Because throughout all these letters, he's saying, I know what you're going through. And I know what you're doing. I know your works. I know your circumstances. I'm walking among the churches. Jesus is very heavily invested in what the church has going on. Do you know that Jesus is very intimately aware of what we have going on? What you have going on in your personal life and what we are doing as a collective and he has thoughts about it. And he has things that he wants, that he's proud of. Come on, he has things that he's proud of in this place and in us, but he also has ways that he wants to grow us, ways that he wants to develop us, a place that he wants to take us to. And he wants us to stay the course. And he says this in uh, verses 19 through 22 in Revelations 3. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Change your way of thinking. Turn from your way of living. Here I am. The words of the resurrected Jesus saying, here I am. Here I am. Exclamation point. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If God didn't correct you, it would be because he doesn't love you. God corrects us because he loves us. We don't know everything. We're still growing. We're still developing. We're still learning. God knows everything, and God knows the plan for our lives. And sometimes we're going to get off course, and God wants to bring us back into alignment. He wants to keep us moving forward. He wants to show us, hey, you're running into a tipping point. I know that you've been wavering in your decision. You've been wondering whether I'm still worth it, whether all of this is still worth it. Whether following me is still worth it, whether being in my church is still worth it, gathering with my people is still worth it, serving my people is still worth it, is it still worth it? 
And he's saying yes to the one who stays the course. I will give the right to sit on the throne just like I was victorious and sat on the throne. I stayed the course and the end result was sitting on the throne with God the Father. And he's saying to his church that to each of us who stays the course, there is a beautiful life, there is a beautiful journey, and there's a beautiful destination in store. And so I don't know what you have going on in life, but I would assume that there are probably some things that have a question mark by them. And I would venture to say that you may be even experiencing some pressure in your life. You may even be experiencing some temptation to take your foot off the gas. Maybe I just need to ease off a little bit. Maybe I just need to slow down a little bit. Maybe I just, maybe I just need to pull away from this thing that God has been pulling me towards. And my encouragement to you is don't take your foot off the gas. Don't pull away. Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is still in control. Jesus' plan is still top priority. Jesus' church is still top priority. Jesus' church is still the one that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And they may prevail against a lot of things and a lot of people, but I know that in the body of Christ, I find safety. I find victory. I find security. I find purpose. I find a place to belong. So you can stand to your feet. And I just want us to take a moment. I don't know what that tipping point could be for you. But if you have been going through some things, running into some challenges, if there has been something that has been trying to overshadow God's truth over your life, I want us to take an opportunity tonight to address that and to bring that to God. Because he loves you and he's standing at the door. Even when you get distracted, when you get challenged, when you get beat down, when you get depressed, he's at the door knocking. Jesus, you should be knocking at his door. He's knocking at yours. You should be knocking on the door of heaven and he is knocking on the door of your heart saying, here I am. If you hear my voice and just open the door, I will come in and really have relationship with you. And so I want to pray for us in in a few different areas, and then I just want us to spend a little time in worship. Ah. Father, I thank you for each and every person that you have brought here, God. Lord, I thank you that you are worth following God. And we put our attention towards you in this moment. Lord, and we say you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of what we have to endure. But here's what we ask. We ask for the empowerment of your spirit. Lord, would you help us to navigate the things that we need help navigating? 
Some of us have been so confused. Some of us have had so many questions and we just let the questions swirl around in our head. We don't ask you. But God, I'm praying that you would help us to ask you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us divine wisdom for the decisions we have to make. Lord, for every person who's overwhelmed with different circumstances and different things that they have going on, God, I pray that you would give them divine wisdom by your spirit. And Lord, I pray for strength in your people, God, for every person who's been feeling weak, who's been feeling like, they, like it's time to give up, who's been feeling like they can't move forward. Lord, I pray for a divine strength that you would pour out your grace by your spirit. And Lord, for every person who's been on the fence about following you, for every person who has not been following you and it wants to make a decision tonight, Lord, I thank you that it is just the work of your spirit. You said that the flesh counts for nothing. It's just your spirit that draws us, that draws us to you. And for each and every person who's wanting to make a decision tonight, Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness to move forward and to step forward and to take the necessary steps to take the journey and stay on course. Lord, I pray that you would change the direction of lives tonight. God, I pray that you would change many of our courses, God, who've been going away from you. And if that's you, if that's speaking to you tonight, you're saying, I, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I just want you to lift your hand before we move forward so I can pray with you. See your hands going up. It's beautiful. I want, you to, I want you to pray this prayer and come into agreement with this prayer before we move forward. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the son of God, that you really did live a human life, that you died on a cross for my sins, that you resurrected from the grave. You're alive right now. You're speaking to me right now. And you have the power and the authority to forgive me of my sins, to heal me from everything that has come against me and to destroy all the works of the devil in my life. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. I repent for my sins and I turn away from my old life. I turn completely to you. And I say, lead me. You're in control now. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.